In contemporary times, Martin Luther is often seen as a heroic figure for his rage against the machine-like move of nailing 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg on October 31, 1517. However, it should go without saying that the principalities and powers in church government were not happy with this move. Less than a year later, Luther was offered the opportunity to defend himself. This trial of sorts was called the Heidelberg Disputation, and it was here that Luther offered his theology of the cross to combat the theology of glory, which was prevalent at the time. We begin this week's episode with the 28th point in Luther's Heidelberg Disputation. The love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. The love of man comes into being through that which is pleasing to it. The second part is clear and is accepted by all philosophers and theologians. For the object of love is its cause. Assuming, according to Aristotle, that all power of the soul is passive and material and active only in receiving something. Thus, it is also demonstrated that Aristotle's philosophy is contrary to theology, since in all things it seeks those which are its own and receives rather than gives something good. The first part is clear because the love of God which lives in man loves sinners, evil persons, fools, and weaklings in order to make them righteous, good, wise, and strong. Rather than seeking its own good, the love of God flows forth and bestows good. Therefore, sinners are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. For this reason, the love of man avoids sinners and evil persons. Thus Christ says, For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the love of the cross, born of the cross, which turns in the direction where it does not find good which it may enjoy, but where it may confer good upon the bad and needy person. It is more blessed to give than to receive, says the Apostle. Hence, Psalm 41.1 states, Blessed is he who considers the poor. For the intellect cannot by nature comprehend an object which does not exist. That is the poor and needy person. But only a thing which does exist. That is the true and good. Therefore it judges according to appearances. It is a respecter of persons and judges according to that which can be seen. I'm Anthony Mako. Welcome to Postmodern Liturgy.
I want to start this week by saying thank you again to all of you who have been really resonating with this podcast. This week, I got a really nice message from someone in Albania. Albania. Obviously, I hoped this podcast would spread, but I didn't really imagine Albania this fast. Thank you to everyone. This is the fifth Sunday in Easter. And I should clarify, I tried to communicate it through social media, but last week I accidentally said that there were five Sundays in Easter total. I didn't mean to say that, but hopefully it comes as a welcome surprise that we aren't done. We still have a couple more weeks, seven Sundays in Easter with Ascension in the middle. I know the Luther quote that I read was dense. I actually recommend going back and listening to it again, or looking it up online to read. But also, we obviously are going to return to it in the reflection. There are a couple huge themes going on in the readings this week. We're reflecting on the definition of love and the cosmos. But before I spoil the fun, let's get into the readings this week. Psalm 148 Praise Yahweh Praise Yahweh from the heavens Praise God in the heights Praise God, all God's angels Praise God, all God's host Praise God, sun and moon Praise God, all you shining stars Praise God, you highest heavens And you waters above the heavens Let them praise the name of Yahweh, for God commanded, and they were created. God established them forever and ever. God fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. Praise Yahweh from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling God's command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young women and men alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of Yahweh, for God's name alone is exalted. God's glory is above earth and heaven. God has raised up a horn for God's people. Praise for all God's faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to God. Praise Yahweh.
13, 31-35 When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in God's self, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Revelation 21, 1-6 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them. They will be God's peoples, and God will be with them. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life.
Acts 11, 1-18 Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon him, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Each passage this week, although they are all linked together, is pretty massive on its own. For this reason, I'd like to start by sharing some quick observations on each one before bringing them all together under a couple broader themes. Let's begin with the passage in Acts. This pretty well-known passage has a lot to offer at face value. Here, the doors of inclusion are blown wide open. Peter is addressing critique over what I'm sure he knows is a huge departure from church tradition. 
Interestingly, there is quite a bit of evidence to suggest this critique originated with Peter's fellow disciple, James. Which sort of changes things when you imagine two of the original twelve already debating rules. In the end, Peter is advocating the inclusion of the Gentiles. Now, obviously Gentiles means the Gentiles, but they're also a metaphorical nod to a broader theme of inclusion in the Bible. But a really big question about this text is, is this a new thing? I'm here to suggest that it's not. God's covenant with Abraham was, I will bless you, and so on, so that all the nations will be blessed. The hope of inclusion has existed from the beginning. In Christ, as evidenced in Peter's story here, we see the fulfillment of that hope. Speaking of broader themes, in Psalm 148, we see the entire cosmos giving praise to Yahweh. In verses 1 through 6, the heavenly bodies declare their praise. And in verses 7 through 14, the earthly bodies declare their praise. The overall theme echoes one of the main points of the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2. The work of the Creator was to bring order from chaos. In Psalm 148, we see the Creator sustaining and protecting that order, which has inspired praise from every corner of the ordered cosmos. I always like to point this out when thinking about a resounding theme of praise. The Psalms help us to zoom out not in. Imagine the beauty you would miss by just pulling one of these verses out of context. For example, if you focus too heavily on verse 14, you would say Psalm 148 is about God's people. Now, you might be able to go and write a song that would end up on the top 40 of the CCLI after that, but you would certainly miss a broader point. This same theme actually continues in the passage in Revelation. And it is mixed with one of my suggestions about the reading in Acts. A lot of things are being made new. But we should hear new as fulfillment and return, rather than never happened before. You see, Revelation was written to a group of people in chaos, under an oppressive rule. In many ways, the author is saying, the Creator will once again bring order to the chaos. It's all over this passage just maybe not right on the surface. The sea actually represents chaos, and so the sea is destroyed. The earth is renewed, the temple is renewed, and God dwells among God's people, just as God had during the original covenant. All this language is meant to draw the readers toward hope as chaos is once again ordered. Finally, let's turn to the passage in John. Such a little passage, such odd language, but such massive themes. Two seem to stand out, glory and love. How about this for a near nonsensical statement about glory in verse 31? When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in God's self and will glorify him at once. In earlier days, I think I would have thought about this passage, that of course Jesus would need to be glorified 
he just experienced a stunning defeat through crucifixion. But don't worry, Jesus was raised, and through that process, is now glorified. But, to think that, and I hate to put it so bluntly, is to completely misunderstand this verse. Here, God's glory and Christ's glory are shown to be intermingled. God is glorified in Christ's action on the cross. But how can it be that the peak of God's glory comes through death? Because self-sacrifice and service are the epitome of Trinitarian character. In hierarchical systems, God descends to the bottom. That is where God is glorified. So, it's not a change in topic, as it may seem, to turn to the topic of love within a relatively short amount of time in this text. Christ's death is not only God's glorification, it is also the definition of love. We often read this passage as a command to love one another. Of course, it is that. It flat out says that. It's also the first time a link is suggested between how Christ loved us and how we love each other. As Craig Keener observed, by linking the glory of Jesus' cross with the expectation that disciples love one another as Jesus loved them, John calls disciples to lay down their lives. Honestly, if I had to pick four scriptures to capture the entire narrative of scripture, these four wouldn't be a very bad choice. God brought order from chaos. God will once again bring order from chaos. And God is love, which Christ has shown to be service and self-sacrifice. Now, with all that being said, I would like to close with a reflection on some parts of Martin Luther's quote from the beginning of the podcast, because it obviously has a close connection to the readings this week, especially the passage in the fourth gospel. So I'll read a couple excerpts and then offer space for reflection. Then I'll close with a prayer. The love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. The love of man comes into being through that which is pleasing to it. Aristotle's philosophy is contrary to theology, since in all things it seeks those things which are its own and receives rather than gives something good. The first part is clear because the love of God, which lives in man, loves sinners, evil persons, fools, and weaklings in order to make them righteous, good, wise, and strong. Rather than seeking its own good, the love of God flows forth and bestows good. 
Leaders are attractive because they are loved. They're not loved because they're attractive. For this reason, the love of man avoids sinners and evil persons. This is the love of the cross, born of the cross, which turns in the direction where it does not find good, which it may enjoy, but where it may confer is the poor and needy person. But only a thing which does exist, that is the true and good. Therefore, it judges according to appearances, is a respecter of persons, and judges according to that which can be seen. sacrifice. Make us lovers in the way that you have loved. Allow us to create beauty as you have through your love. Allow us to call the marginalized back into existence in our selfish minds. And give us the courage to do all this in exactly the way you have loved us. Through your willingness to descend to the lowest level, to call beauty into being. Amen. joining me again this week. I'd love if you join us online. We are at postmodernliturgy.com. 
We're also at Postmodern Liturgy on Facebook and Instagram and at PM Liturgy on Twitter. I would love it if you would consider supporting our work for free by rating and reviewing the podcast or financially at patreon.com slash postmodernliturgy. If you visit our Patreon site, you can see several great benefits for our supporters. Let me give you an example of one of our tiers. You may be asking yourself, doesn't the really big part of that intro-outro song sound an awful lot like some of Fix You by Coldplay? You know what? I had a similar thought last week. Way late in the process to write a whole new song. So let's just consider this my protest against anyone who thinks they own a six minor chord to a four to a one to a five chord. My musician friends will know what I'm talking about. I write and record 99.9% of the music for this podcast. That 0.1% is for the things that come dangerously close to other songs. At the $5 level on Patreon, you can get downloads of all the music on every episode at the beginning of every month. Thanks again for joining me, and enjoy the tension.